O God, who instructs the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to be truly wise and to live as your people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the gospel that was proclaimed last week and precedes this morning's passage, Jesus taught about prayer in the parable of the widow's persistence in the face of a powerful judge that would not respond to her. While the judge had great social standing, the widow had little power or status, but she had persistent faith. She acted on the belief that change was achievable, that the judge had capacity to do the right thing even if he did not have the motivation to do it. That her world could be better, that might does not always equal right, and that a different future could be possible. Jesus, having addressed his disciples in that parable, continues to touch on prayer, but now turns his complete attention to the crowd. And in this environment, Jesus launched into his next parable singling out those who had confidence in their own righteousness and regarded others with contempt, people who looked like they had it all together. To use terms we are more familiar with, Jesus told this parable to a group of people who were devout and full of themselves and looked down on others. It was addressed primarily to people who were so proud of their own achievements that they chose to boast to God about it in prayer. That's pretty arrogant. Two men go up to the temple to pray. Two men from very different walks of life going into the same religious space to do a very similar act. They went up to pray. Wherever you are in Israel, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. One was a Pharisee, one a tax collector. In their culture, Pharisees were paragons of virtue and tax collectors were despised, with good reason. Yet, once again, Jesus chooses to flip the script. Pharisees are seldom the hero of any gospel story and we may be tempted to limit their identity but it's helpful to remember that these were people whose lives were oriented toward God. People like many of us, and that might help us to be just a little bit more compassionate as we identify with them. From his prayer, we know that a law-abiding citizen was important to him. This Pharisee's days were not filled with, musing, with misusing his position of power for personal gain. He was faithful and not a collaborator with the Roman occupiers who routinely extorted his family and his friends. Fasting twice a week is not easy. Fasting once a week is not easy. Yet it was a standard practice for him. He took his faith seriously. He exercised personal religious discipline and he was faithful and regular in his giving like many of us. He was an upstanding citizen, a model of faith and virtue, a member any church would want to have. But he revealed a flaw that most of us, in the quiet moments of our heart, can identify with. 
He trusted in himself more than he trusted in God, and he looked down on many others nearby. Now, he did it boldly, loudly, standing up in a temple. However, we are much more refined. We use humble bragging and virtue signaling, but it's the same thing. But Romans 12 warns us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but rather to think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given to each of us. So this Pharisee prayed, I am full of good works. I am full of good character, not like other people are. I'm not like the swindlers, the unrighteous, the adulterers, and I am certainly not like that despicable thief. And his prayer exposed his heart. Prayer will do that to you sometimes. Consider what we pray for, what we pray about, and what we leave out of our prayers. If we listen to the words of our prayers and the way we pray them, we may be shocked by what they reveal. Prayer can often uncover what we may not be facing about ourselves, about our relationships, and it may be an indicator of the subtle attitudes that do not reflect the grace and love of God that are being incorporated into our thought patterns without us even noticing. Each Sunday when we pray the collect for purity, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. Do we embrace each of the words as they flow from our lips? Do we allow them to touch our hearts? Do we really want to be in the presence of a God who sees our hearts fully, completely, openly? I know I want God to see the pain and the joy in my heart, the deep gratitude for the many things I enjoy, the challenges we overcome. But sometimes if we're brutally honest, there may also be pride, unresolved anger, fear, bitterness, selfishness, and I'm not quite so delighted for God to see that. It continues, all desires known, and from you, no secrets are hid. Do we really want God to know all of our desires? Our desires we have toward a driver who acts as though he not only owns the whole road, but the laws do not apply to him. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Do we really want God to cleanse every thought? Every thought that is not in alignment with God's dream for the world, if it means that we could be inconvenienced, or our beautiful words of welcome and equality would cost us our comfort? Do we really want God to bless the world, even if it includes our enemies? Soon the election will take place, and we will have an opportunity to vote our consciences. We will have the opportunity to choose candidates who advance programs that enable the less powerful and the less desirable in our world to be fed, clothed, and healed. Will we find ways to support candidates that promote the dignity of everyone? Or will we set our baptismal covenant aside for just a more convenient time? Will we choose to support platforms that keep the widows of our world pounding against closed doors of injustice, attempting to gain entrance, or will we assist in their cause? Will we look down on anyone who doesn't vote as we do, as though they are nothing but tax collectors? 
collaborators, people against the truth? What about those whose Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and other social media presence causes harm to those we love and provides us with a ready excuse not only to disagree, but we take it a step further and wonder if we have to love them? Has our moral superior stance translated into feelings that we are more justified before God than they are because we don't see signs of their repentance? We long to see those who promote inequality, hatred, prejudice, injustice, poverty, and fear to beat their proverbial chests in repentance. I would really like to see that. We would like to see them recognize the sinfulness of their behavior and to change their ways. I believe we share the desire to have Indianapolis free of gun violence, where hope and opportunity replace black-on-black -black crime, where the justice system is truly just and every system protects and serves everyone equitably. A city where elderly people never worry about health care or food and where intimate partner violence is a historical footnote. A community where beautiful curbs and streets are not the sole domain of the wealthy and 38th Street is no longer a synonym for violence, but of peace and love. God has given us stewardship over this beautiful world, and it's a world where people are hurting and dying, and this is where we are called to bring the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We participate in that in generous giving that it has enabled us just this week to assist with car insurance, a family with shelter, another family with gas money, and yet another one with food. And in all our doing, to be truly effective and justified before God, it is not what we do. Whatever it is that we do must come from a place of humility and love, because no one really cares how much we know until they know how much we care. We must recognize that we all fall and cannot trust our own righteousness, that we are both sinner and saint, and that the grace and mercy of God not only extends to us all, but that we all need it, all of us, every one of us. Amen.